European geography has become almost irrelevant as fintech markets have flattened out, enabling technology firms to more easily reach customers beyond national borders. Boosted by cloud software efficiency, specifically productivity tools, communication, and open architecture. Some aspects of fintech in the U.S. seem to be falling behind that in most of Europe, where regulation that looks ahead has sparked a surge of innovation in digital financial services, along with the back-end infrastructure onto which these products are built and operated. Now, that might seem counterintuitive, as regulation is often blamed for slowing innovation down. But instead, European regulators seem to have focused on reducing barriers to fintech growth rather than clinging to the status quo and protecting incumbents. Welcome to the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group. Uh, we help wealth managers, asset managers, and wealth tech vendors make better business and technology decisions. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices in wealth management technology. And be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. As you might have guessed from my intro, this episode is part of our ongoing series focused on European wealth tech. And we chose a company called Finsight, which is based in Germany. So their website is finsight.de. That's F-I-N-C-I-T-E, finsight.de. And we chose this firm because they have an end-to-end, all-in-one wealth management platform that's gaining traction in the EU. And I wanted to speak to their CEO about how they started, the differences between the EU and U.S. markets for fintech uh, services and software, as well as no code software development. We covered all this and a whole lot more. Now on with the program. I'm happy to introduce uh, our guest for this episode is Ralph Heim, co-founder and co-CEO of Finsight. Hey, Ralph, welcome to the program. Hey, Craig, happy to hear, be here. And Ralph, where, tell everyone where you are calling in from or you're Zooming in from. Uh, actually, it's from Frankfurt. So we are located here with our company. And uh, actually, it's today, it's the, it's the home office, as you can imagine. Hmm. Yeah, everyone's at home. We're all, we're all in our homes. And I mean, I, I actually, uh, my company's always been virtual, my consulting firm. So nothing changed for us, but big changes for a lot of companies, I'm sure, uh, changes for your company when everyone started working from home. Can you uh, give us, uh, to kick us off the episode, can you give us a 30 second uh, elevator pitch for FinSight? Yeah, happy to do that. Um, so basically we are what it's called a composable investment software, which means that um, on our software, asset managers, uh, wealth managers, um, advisor firms, um, big banks um, are composing their processes around onboarding, to portfolio generation, proposal generation, to uh, portfolio rebalancing, to order execution and to reporting. So basically end to end. And we have that made in a way that uh, banks can configure it very much or our customers can configure it very much and very fast. That was very brief. It was a good 30 second 
overview. Most people go longer than that. And uh, your website is finsight.de because you're based in Germany. Uh, and so you've got your, this is the software firm, Finsight, and, and F-I-N-C-I-T-E, for those of you following at home. And you also have uh, a company called Finsight, Finsight Ventures, where you're, you do investing in companies. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, basically, um, it started uh, similar to that time of Finsight, and we um, uh, found that a lot of uh, executives or larger senior people from the industry were leaving banks and founding uh, companies. And uh, this was a trend where we spoke to people and one by the other, we said it's a good idea. And so we have, meanwhile, we have a portfolio of 11 companies um, starting from um, a fixed income uh, trading platform, a commodities trading platform, uh, digital asset management uh, company, custodian aggregator. Uh, and what you already can see as a pattern, it's a lot along the value chain of investments and uh, capital markets. Indeed. And, uh, you have an interesting story about how you found my podcast from from Germany. Who who um, introduced you to my podcast? Yeah, I think I stumbled upon it uh, twice or three times before that. Then I, I heard from colleagues of Refinitiv of Morningstar and which are partners of us uh, that uh, I do not actually know who it was, but uh, they said more or less, if you want to learn about the uh, markets in the U.S., their registered investment advisors and uh, how it's structured here. Um, which is different from Europe, um, uh, please go and uh, listen to Craig's podcast. And that's how I found you. And uh, since then, I, I was listening to quite some episodes. Fantastic. And, and big shout out to our friends at Refinitiv and Morningstar. Thanks so much. Keep, keep uh, referring us. So the, um, you mentioned a great, a great uh, first topic that we wanted to talk about was the differences uh, in Europe versus the U.S. when it comes to tech companies. What, what, what are some of the differences that you're seeing as you, you've got FinSight, which is a software company. How is it different uh, when, when, when software companies, how they grew up and how the, the, the market has, has grown uh, versus how the U.S. Uh, FinTech companies work? Yes, I think there are, there are several fundamental differences. Uh, the, the one of the first is the, um, is the market infrastructure is really different. So um, you here are very much um, uh, defragmented. So that means um, fragmented. You mean, that means you have um, in Europe, there is no one market. You have the France uh, uh, totally different, um, uh, having totally different processes in investments than, for example, Germans or the UK is again totally different. And uh, with the uh, IFA infrastructure there. And around that, the custodian um, uh, platforms, uh, the um, distribution platforms, the organizations of sales organizations, all this, all this is a bit different. And, and we learned that the hard way because as we started the company, this was 2015, and um, we um, envisioned um, a world in which like, you can connect all the custodians, all the deposits from all the portfolios, for cash accounts, you can uh, connect real estate, you can produce a completely digital advice on top of that because I came from the business intelligence sector and had a business intelligence firm running before it was like totally nonsense that you didn't get much advice or insights on your portfolios in the retail space and um, that was the beginning the idea and um, we um, learned over the past years from the working with larger banks like Deutsche Bank, ABN and so on that it's um, in, in Europe, it's everyone is a bit different and you have bigger players which consolidate for large of market share. So even so, you might have smaller advisors they are grouped into distribution pools or sales organizations or uh, custodians which are 
delivering the software actually to them. So it's a bit different as I imagine the US to be with very autonomous uh, registered investment advisors. And um, so that's why also software platforms in the past in Europe could not uh, scale as a white label solution across all countries, across all parts from retail to institutional mm -hmm. and so on. So I think that's also the reason why in Europe, uh, we do not have that many uh, large tech firms serving as uh, medium-sized uh, companies. So uh, we only have larger tech firms serving the larger companies basically. It's interesting well, from when I do a lot of reading on uh, uh, the EU market, and it is, it, it's interesting how that's so different when it comes to the, how, how firms grew and how the market reacts and, and you know, a lot of it's legal and regulatory. But uh, do, you think, do you think that's going to change soon? Do you see more firms starting up like yours that are targeting the mid-sized clients? Um, it's, it's, it's not that many, actually, because I think the, the hurdles are quite high. So um, uh, you need to have at first really um, um, precise, precise understanding of the market and the needs of it. And uh, this is already not that obvious because you, um, you have often the situation that each, each bank is different, each, each process is different. They have different, their, their advice was their value proposition in the past. So they have different uh, product galaxies they advise on. They have different um, market data providers. They have different core banking systems to settle things. And so you need to be very much into it in order to start something new. And I think this will come now more and more um, uh, over the next years because uh, first of all, also regulation standardizes a lot. That's a big trend, definitely. And the second thing we see is that also um, uh, the cloud movement and you have in, in Europe, you have large on-premise uh, in, installments still at, at uh, larger companies. And also in the mid-market, you still have a lot of on-premise uh, uh, software. And so it starts now to move to standards and it starts to move to cloud. And I think both of it will maybe empower new foundings uh, also in the next years, but uh, uh, in the recent years, there haven't been too many uh, really successful uh, companies uh, starting up, like you had in the US, for example. Well, speaking of successful companies, let's talk about your company, Finsight, and your composable banking. I'm, I'm really interested in that phrase. Well, I, I uh, and we've talked about that a bit before we started recording, and I, we, I would call that low-code app development, or, uh, or uh, even no-code. Can you talk a bit about how composable banking, what really, what it is and how some of the, the software you, you've built around that? Yeah, perfect. So basically we had, we had if you look at software, you had, um, you had different trends. You have something like a standardized uh, monolithic platform, which you had in the past, like you roll it out in the same way. You deploy it on premise, you then change it for the local specifics of this company. And then you have the problem that you cannot, uh, that you need to maintain it in a way that you cannot scale it really. Um, the second generation is what happened then was a lot of API-based um, uh, approaches. So more modularity, but actually still very developer-centric. And what we see now, and the term uh, isn't coming from me, I, I perfectly uh, uh, saw it coming from another sector, actually the core banking, which is, uh, which is sometimes even more complex uh, uh, than what we do. Um, so there, was, there were some companies now coming up in Germany and uh, highlighting Membu. Uh, that's a core banking system that, that coins this phrase. And I liked it very much because it's, um, it stands for uh, a trend. You see more and more that you can define workflows on a platform. So we always have like business process modeling. We always had this stuff in, in the software industry, um, but it becomes now more and more part of uh, enterprise, enterprise software for different industries. 
So imagine as a bank, you can directly take uh, your process and define it on a, on a, uh, on a low-code flow designer. So you can really say this question first and the second question next and so on. You can say uh, which kind of investment approach you want for which kind of investment galaxy, which interfaces to market data providers you want to take and can basically define a lot of your value proposition um, and your process uh, from onboarding to reporting um, within clicks. And um, uh, I think this is a world we are going to. I think in the, uh, it's something where we are now more in the stage of bringing really valuable software life in weeks instead of years. And one day we might be really in the world where we can um, define and change this, um, this kind of uh, uh, um, uh, rollouts uh, within, within days. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that come out in the U.S. as well. Firms that are building these tools uh, or offering these tools out. Um, and it's great for creating workflows without programming, connecting applications together. Uh, really interesting and, and a, a big trend. I wanted to talk a bit about uh, the FinSight SIOS platform. Uh, I'm interested in, in this. You've got a lot of tools that uh, we have over here and a lot of firms that are building similar tools. Can you talk a bit about this, this, uh, this suite? Uh, you, have, you have an aggregation engine, optimization engine, reporting, and also uh, build your own. Can you talk about how the, the SIOS platform has evolved and, and how these different applications interact with each other? Yeah, perfect. I think I think that's what I uh, said at, at, in between, which uh, learned I learned that we learned it the hard way. Uh, <laughs> so we always uh, we started a bit at the beginning um, by uh, going into a wrong direction. So we say we thought we can define standards and uh, that banks would follow the standard by any mean or so on, which was a, a, a wrong assumption. So uh, what what SIOS basically uses is engines on a on a lowest level, which is like you can imagine like this is the API world. You can really um, say, I uh, want to have this kind of optimization approach. This is how the risk profiling could work. And it's all connected with API calls. And this way you can build your own very fast. Um, mm -hmm. But also we have the process layer on top. And uh, also meanwhile, the user experience platform on top where this, uh, this is the same degree or at least a little close degree um, of composability is as well happening. So you can also define there are a lot of things already within the environment. And this is actually... Um, perfectly fitting for the European market because as I said in the beginning, it's, it's way more uh, uh, in a way that, that larger enterprises are saying, but this is my process, I need to have it this way. And uh, this is my custodian, I need to have this custodian uh, for regulatory reasons, for example, because my processes are matching, I do not want to exchange that. Uh, I use in the brokerage, I use uh, the market data from Refinitiv, Morningstar, FactSet, Six, you name it. Uh, so I, I need to have the exact same one and um, so when you are confronted with these requirements in the enterprise sector, you can either say, uh, I always build solutions around that and make it an individual service, which is uh, not scalable, or you try to, um, and that's in, in software development often called postponement theory. So you try to move the needle up of standardization and uh, by making things composable uh, uh, in a platform. And that's what we actually did with the software and that's what SIOS is about. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite charities, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit that supports and empowers financial advisors who give back to their communities with overwhelming generosity. Now in its 15th year, Invest in Others has raised and distributed millions of dollars to worthy charities that are run by or assisted by financial advisors both in the U.S. and abroad. 
the Invest and Others Foundation is kicking off 2021 with a restock of the shelves campaign. This past year, demand for food from nonprofits was at an all-time high. Last year, more than 50 million people experienced food insecurity. Now that the holiday season has ended, supplies at many food banks and shelters have dropped, but demand has not. To help restock the shelves, Invest and others will award grants of up to $20,000 to nonprofits who are fighting hunger in their communities. If you work in the financial services industry and also volunteer for a 501c3 nonprofit that's in need of food items, apply for a grant from the Invest in Others Foundation on its behalf. They want to help you restock the shelves in your community this January. Applications will be accepted now through Friday, February 5th at investinothers.org forward slash grants. So if you want to put your uh, 501c3 nonprofit's name in for a grant of up to $20,000, please go to investinothers.org forward slash grants. That's cool. Um, so what do these different engines do? So you've got looking at your list of services, you have a robo advisor, you have a portfolio health check advisor software. So how does, how do these different tools fit together and, uh, and how, how would an advisor use your software? Yeah, that's the perfect question because um, these are showcases because they both, uh, everything you mentioned is actually running on the same engines because the investment process itself is a quite standardized process. You have, um, you have some kind of onboarding, you have some kind of uh, uh, questionnaire, which is leading to a risk profile. It can be in the institutional space that you set further restrictions on investments, um, restrictions on asset classes, restrictions on on, um, on um, uh, ESG, sustainability, or restrictions on other other items as well. Um, but you can also have a retail customer doing the same or a wealth customer doing the same. So what we see is um, that um, this kind um, of... of uh, flexibility uh, uh, comes from engines, but then you have the direct use case. For example, the software that a robo-advisor uses is to 95% the same that, that a, for example, wealth advisor uses because they follow exactly the same processes from onboarding to portfolio generation to um, uh, uh, portfolio rebalancing, order execution, reporting. So it's always the value chain is the same, just the parameterization of the process steps, the process, uh, the product galaxies, or um, uh, um, uh, the uh, optimization rules are different, but it's actually all things you can do within parameterization and which doesn't need to have a complete different software all the time. Indeed, it's, um, I'm, I always find it interesting how different uh, vendors approach the, the problems and we're all dealing with the same problems. So like, as you said, this, it's the exact same processes. Of course, the, you have different regulations and different requirements and different investment types in Germany. I know we, we did some, I did some projects for some German banks and, you know, the, um, I can't remember the German word for um, uh, in, in bond processing. There's a key that they need for a bond, like a Schlüssel. Yeah. And yeah. there was some sort of long German word. And I, I was like, what is all this? Like I had to learn, I thought it knew German, but then when I got there, there's a whole other dictionary because everything's, all the words are different. But yeah, but all the things are the same in terms of you opening up account, you're doing a portfolio, you're, you're, you're planning for retirement and such. So uh, a lot of the base um, functionality is very similar. Another piece of software you have, which I'm interested in, is something called Evergreen, which is digital wealth planning. Can you, can you explain what that is? 
Uh, actually, Evergreen is a case study, so it's a customer of us using oh, the platform. Right. A case study, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. so great company. Uh, refer everybody to to look at it. Uh, it's a it's an asset management firm which um, actually is living very much the idea we are also living because what they did, they came from the institutional space. Two founders, um, situ located in Leipzig, so not not the first com the first location you would have uh, when you found a company in Germany in mind. Um, but what they did is basically they, they are asset managers coming from the uh, having an, a total return approach. Well, this means like you have a target return and around that you work with a risk budget. This approach comes from the institutional asset management space. And it's, um, it's something which um, is, for example, if you have a, a pension uh, fund or so on, you want to be very sure that you meet your returns with little risk. So it's a bit kind of different. Uh, an investment approach than you would have to if you generate alpha or so on. It's really risk budgeted. And what they did is basically exactly also um, showing um, the, 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 the idea of our software is they were customers of us with their former, with, when they worked as an asset manager at a, at a bank. And they were also are now customers again of us uh, as they are working with retail customers from, for savers for one euro because the same approach total return is as well very valid if you're a person, a private person that wants to plan his own retirement. And um, what Evergreen is actually using from us is exactly what you said. They use the workflow uh, like a financial planning kind of uh, um, of interaction with the customer where they define how much uh, the customer needs to retire and then uh, they are planning towards it with an asset management own fund. So it's, it's, um, it's basically partially a robo-advisor but partially also full scope asset manager. I like the, the case study, how it's laid out and you've got uh, some really nice looking screens. They look very retail, like the, like we have a lot of um, direct to consumer robo advisors or other investment firms, firms like Acorns and Stash and Moneyline. And they're so consumer focused and they have the great, the screens are really well designed and, and nicely laid out with great, great fonts or they've got great fonts, great, uh, great um, imagery. You know, they have, they have their own uh, way of, uh, of uh, showing their icons and things, iconogra iconography, and you've got that as well. So with the financial planning software, is that something that they can customize, that the, their clients can take your tools and build their own financial planning, or is it really a, a core financial planning application that they can just sort of tweak around the edges? Yeah, I think I think this uh, this case uh, financial planning is something where we have a very basic model. So if you really want to differentiate yourself with financial planning, you might still work upon your um, your own um, uh, let's say parameterization. But the, the graphics are also the same, right? If you have um, if you have a wealth customer, or if you have a target return model for an institutional, or if you have a retail customer savings, um, you want to have a kind of a, a high chart, this is the technology we use, so uh, very, very simple. So you want to have a kind of um, graph that shows you and it guides you easy to this. And what you said is also perfect because also in institutional environments, we aim to have the same uh, kind of clarity retail customers are used because we are not different. Uh, so of course there is like this kind of institutional customers who uses um, super superior uh, data and way more information density. Uh, that is maybe not then the right one for using uh, or using our software without building something on top. But um, if you are, uh, our approach is more that we go to institutional as well, institutional customers and that they see the same degree of clarity, the same degree of uh, simplicity in their, uh, in their views on their reporting as well. And also there is great learning from the retail space because you can say um, uh, how 
if you look at how you can manage interactions with, with retail customers, you learn how the, often they are logging in, how often they are changing things, um, what are they looking at? And it can be the same in institutional. So you look at what attributions did this uh, investor look like? Uh, will he uh, take out the 10 million plus check uh, he's written for me uh, because he's now the same, this is the second time in, in, a, in a short uh, period looking at the performance attributions against the benchmark and uh, it's, it's looking bad. So maybe I should uh, proactively inform him. So having this customer interaction principles you have in the in the retail uh, space and also in the um, in the institutional space is a great leverage you can have as, as a firm, and that's something also why for us um, uh, while the processes are similar, the reporting also to, to a degree is similar. Um, you can uh, learn in the uh, in the uh, from the retail space a lot when you go to wealth or uh, institutional space. You said something I just wrote a note down, customer interaction <laughs> principles. And that's a lot of firms don't don't think that way. And, and when I'm talking about your screens, I know they're advisor facing a lot of these. And a lot of the, so we, we review a lot of software. We see tons of software applications and some of them are so boring and so dry. And it makes it very difficult to even use the software, in my opinion, that, that the, way they, the way they build it. But if you, then if you look at the, the end user, if the, if, the, if the same company also has a, a client facing, interface it's very different it's it's bright it's colorful it's got really you know good icons and easy to, to follow like why don't you build the advisor piece the same way why don't advisors get the same you know good looking interface and something they can work with so yeah so i liked what you had shown on here and it's, it's definitely I, I helpful think you made it think that way yeah i think you made a super important point because one thing we learned at the beginning our customer our applications were very much um so the applications built on sios were very much customer facing or uh, also institutional advisor, fa uh, institutional uh, customer facing. But um, it, it moved over the years also with the trend of hybrid that we have a lot of advisors on the platform meanwhile. And um, what you learn with the advisors on the platform is, is that um, their pain was basically in the past, there came somebody to you and uh, said to you, here, I, this is my website I'm using, like we have in Germany on Vista, um, uh, uh, or you might have the, the Morningstar uh, 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 website uh, uh, in the US more f frequently, or that somebody's looking at public data, coming to you as an advisor and shows to you like, dear Craig, why am I not getting this from you, right? Why, 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 why does this tell me I'm not meeting the benchmark? And, and by the way, why, why do I just get from you the kits and prips, which are regulatory documents in Europe? Um, so like, uh, um, uh, so why do I just get this um, from this, uh, from this, uh, uh, not, why do I just get PDF from you while I get this insights from them in a more real-time way? Mm -hmm. And um, this was a perfect wake-up call for everybody because this retail platforms came up and uh, the advisors were, they need to be smarter than their customers, right? In order to advise good, you need to be smarter. You need to have more insights. You need to know more about the portfolios. You need to know how the breakdowns are looking. You need to know how the allocations are. Is the allocations are right? And all this knowledge um, is something that the advisor needs to have at hand and when interacting with the customer. And we usually have two views and usually the advisor has some extra views to be smarter than the uh, investor uh, also because uh, he should use or he should be able to handle uh, uh, more information. Um, and that's a very important part that you uh, revision uh, their customer advisor interaction and therefore the advisor needs to love the tool as well. That's something a lot of companies don't think about is and something we get actually we get hired my consulting firm gets hired a lot for <laughs> is re-envisioning the interaction between advisors and clients or being advisors and other advisors or advisors and the broker dealer or, or bank that they work for. 
uh, because you tend to get stuck in a rut over years or decades when some companies yeah. um, like there's, there's companies in Germany, which we've worked for a long time ago um, where there, there are multiple mergers of companies and the, and you start getting layers and layers of applications and multiple yeah. systems and infrastructures that never go away because they can't get rid of them. And there's no, there's no incentive to, to do that, but it just starts slowing things down. So thinking about how to, to how to re-envision those, those uh, interactions, I think is something that a lot of firms could take advice from. And, and what you what you see then is if you start this journey once, right? What happens is then um, that you um, that you notice that the, the 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 banks or the the sales organizations or whoever you talk to, they really rely on the advisor's goodwill, right? On mm -hmm. the advisor's motivation. So, um, and and in some degree, we had this conversations like um, the advisors do not use the CRM. And we said, yeah, okay, maybe it's not handy enough. No, no, they do not see the benefit. They want to keep the control. And you have this high interest conflict um, with, with advisors, especially in the consolidating market, that everybody wants to have the control over his assets, right? And you need to be, this is something you need to overstep as a company, as a, as a, as a, um, as a firm employing these advisors. You need to provide them this value or really good value. Otherwise, they will not use your tools. And this, this is something which we learned over the past three years, especially, that getting the advisors on board, making sure that they consolidate their customers' assets on a platform, that you really have a share of the whole the view of uh, value of the customer, for example, or that you really are clear on your investment advice documentations and you know that there's no paper left somewhere in the desk you did not look at, which might have been copied by the customers. And we, we saw all kinds of different stories um, which resulted in a simple fact, a disconnect from the advisor and the companies they are working for. Hmm. That would be a problem if there's a, that disconnect. <laughs> the advisors don't feel connected. You know, and a lot of advisors move around in the U.S. You're constantly hearing, these are this team moved from here to here, this team moved from there to there. So there is a battle. I was talking to one broker dealer and said, we're all sort of competing for the same group of hybrid advisors. To, we just trade them back and forth. Uh, so there, there's a constant battle and, you know, we, we get asked a lot, how can we leapfrog our competition? And so we're, we're, we're it, it, always looking for that. Yeah. Perfect, perfect thing. And one, one KPI we once made as a fictitious number, but it really stu stuck in the head of, uh, of the executives was that um, the, the um, transition or conversion rate an advisor takes with him when he leaves. And that's, that's mm -hmm. something, so the assets under management, imagine this advisor has 100 million, uh, 200 million, whatever. And um, he, he is about to leave. So what do you expect he will take with him? Because the connection between him and the customer is deeper than the connection with his, your customer and your company. And one thing, and I, I found this very astonishing um, starting in this industry, that um, with this low NPS, no net promoter scores and all that, that one thing you want to make sure is that this conversion rate is, is low because you want mm -hmm. to make sure the customer is connected to your brand you can do this with marketing or you can do this with a great tool. Um, so um, you can have a tool where he gets the best reporting in the world and he gets um, great insights on his overall financial wealth. Um, he, I, I've heard one customer once uh, in an interview, we often contain, uh, do one-on-one -on -one sessions with, with uh, selected customers and um, of, of our customers. And I had one where uh, a person simply told me that it sounds, sounds not very nice, but... Mm. I can see in this platform how much richer I get each year <laughs> and that's of value, right? Mm. And if you, yeah. if you train your mind on this kind of thing, 
then your advisor leaves and you say, oh, it's a great guy. I love this guy. But um, I wouldn't. Yeah. And their systems are bad. And mm. do I really give up this, this transparency, this, this whole uh, customer interaction I had with this company as well? And maybe I beg him to stay <laughs> or something like this, right? <laughs> you, you, you might have a totally different scenario. That's why I think customer experience is key everywhere. And um, customer experience mm. and advisor experience as well is, is key in, in uh, investments. I would agree 100%. Customer and, and advisor experiences are key, and firms need to pay more attention to them. Uh, I wish more of my clients would pay more attention. And uh, <laughs> although then, if they did, I might be out of a job. Uh, but uh, so, I wanted to thank you. I realize we're kind of running out of time. Uh, this has been a really Thanks. great conversation. I'm glad you found us, uh, Ralph. Uh, so, where can people find out more about uh, your company? I think uh, we try to produce a lot of content. So social media platforms are a good way. Finsight uh, has an account on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, a bit on YouTube, but not too active at the moment. Um, the website, um, but I guess um, best is really, meanwhile, uh, I found LinkedIn quite hel helpful because mm -hmm. you can also see people there, uh, uh, simply address the people working in the team. They produce content on the plat uh, for, for on, on LinkedIn mm -hmm. as well. So if you want to talk to ESG, you will find the so sustainable investments, and you will directly find a person on our uh, on our LinkedIn account who's who's heavily uh, promoting uh, the different topics there. So mm -hmm. you can also reach out to the colleagues directly. So um, that's what I would recommend. Yes. Wonderful. And for anyone listening, uh, Ralph, your name is spelled R A L F Heim H E I. M. Your your Twitter, your company's Twitter is Finsight 2020. That's your Twitter you handle. So if you want, to, you want to tweet, yeah, you should. Uh, 2020 is not a good brand. Yeah, yeah but, you're uh, right. Uh, in hindsight, uh, this is clear. We, we named it 2050 this way. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then your website is finsight.de. Great. So, freut uh, mich. Sie kennen zu lernen, Herr Heim. Pleasure to meet you. Uh, tschüss. Uh, well, thank you, was thank a big you for your time. Talk to you soon. <laughs> was a big pleasure. Thank you, as, uh, Craig. Hey, it's Craig again. Thanks for listening to Wealth Tech Today. You can find our newsletter and blog at wmtoday.com as well as ezragroupllc.com. And we're also on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. So please visit us wherever you can find us and tune in next week for another episode.